This is The Guardian. Today, what are pig butchering scams? And how are they fleecing people out of their life savings? It began in lockdown. Toby lives alone in his flat and he works long hours in IT. He was using dating apps to distract from the monotony. So I met this person on Hinge. We've been chatting for a good three, four weeks. We just talk about normal questions, traveling, countries, what's on TV, just standard stuff. So far, so normal. And I mentioned Bitcoin because I had some Bitcoin and it kept fluctuating up and down. And that's where I think she got the hook. By this point, Toby had been chatting to this person for hours a day. They'd become familiar with one another. They shared jokes, memes, and tips on where to invest cryptocurrency. Toby knew what he was doing. He'd done his research, and his new friend was encouraging him to try putting his money into a well-known platform. And it all looked legit. So I put 10,000 and I was getting a certain amount of returns. So she kept saying that, oh, you need to get to like the mining pool target and then we'll go out for dinner to celebrate. Toby could see he was getting a return on his investment. His 10,000 pounds had already made him six to 700 pounds. So he put more money in. Then more. Then all of it. When I woke up first thing in the morning, the first message I saw was, you don't need to deposit USD into another mining pool. It's fake and will only steal your money. Stop believing things on the internet. Everything is fake. Your funds will never be unblocked because they've already found their way into the pockets of scammers. If you continue to top up, you only lose more money. Toby was supposed to be meeting this person that very evening. They were supposed to be celebrating his crypto success together on a dinner date. But now he was a victim. And he wasn't the only one. I don't want to do it either. I'm forced to work in a criminal gang. I'm secretly sending this to you. Good luck. He lost everything. £100,000. His life savings. I think I weighed 84 kilos. And after I found that, I think within about two months, I managed to drop like 10 kilos. Just felt terrible. And then recently, I had a, um, a collapse and went to the hospital. And they told me I had type 1 diabetes. One of the things that could lead up is acute stress. Some days I'll, I'll get to the end of the day and I want to eat. And some days my body just goes, nope, you're not eating today. How did it happen? And how can it be stopped? From The Guardian, I'm Nashi Nekbal. Today in Focus, how the UK's legal loopholes are allowing crypto scams to flourish. Shanti Das, you're an Observer reporter and you've been working on a piece collaborating with the Bureau of Investigative Journalism on what you've called pig butchering. But it has nothing to do with farm animals or slaughterhouses. So can you tell me, what is it? So... 
Pig butchering is a type of cryptocurrency or finance scam. It's thought to have originated in China and became widely reported there a few years ago, and it's since spread around the world. There's a new scam out there that's taking aim at vulnerable and potentially lonely people. It's spreading quickly. They call it pig butchering. Its name comes from the Chinese Shazu Pan, which literally translates as pig butchering. And it usually combines romance or online friendship with investment fraud. And it's characterised by maintained contact, really intense contact in some cases, over a prolonged period of time. The term pig butchering refers to the process of fattening a pig for slaughter. So in this context, it means that the scammers are over time building trust with their victims before they eventually slaughter them and steal all of their money. So Shanti, on the face of it, it sounds like the kind of online or romance scams that we've all become quite familiar with in recent years, especially in the pandemic, when you hear about vulnerable people being fleeced of thousands of pounds by chances. Why is pig butchering different? A lot of other online scams will be quick hit. So please click this link or use this scam website or can you transfer me money? In pig butchering cases, the scammers go to great lengths to build up trust with their victims. So they'll often set up fake profiles on social media as well as websites and even trading platforms. And they target people who they have often done a lot of research on. So often they will meet someone online through social media, a dating app, even a language learning app or a wrong number text. And they'll message their victim day and night, share photos, divulge intimate details of their own life, foster a close personal relationship, share information about their own financial situation or even lend them money to build up trust. Eventually, cryptocurrency might come up in the conversation and the scammer mentions that they use a particular trading platform or virtual wallet that the victim is then tempted to try. What they don't realise is that that platform or virtual wallet is fraudulent and it's being controlled by the scammer. What we know is that this is a really professionalised type of fraud. So often there will be many people working behind the scenes to defraud a single victim. Oh, wow. So there are professional criminal gangs working a really complex scam that preys on tech-savvy victims in order for it to work. I mean, for a start, they have to be pretty au fait with buying and trading cryptocurrency. I think the scammers realised that victims are likely to be quite sceptical of people they meet online. So they've developed really sophisticated techniques in some cases to try and gain their trust. Sometimes the victim will transfer a small amount of money and they'll make a return or they'll even be able to withdraw the proceeds. What sort of sums of money are we generally talking about with pig butchering? Often the people that have been targeted in these scams are high net worth individuals and there are reported cases where victims have lost over a million pounds it's often much smaller amounts a few thousand pounds in some cases but it's their life savings or the money that they'd saved for a deposit for a house so often they've entrusted everything that they earned and sometimes victims will borrow money from family and friends to try and add to their investment because they're so convinced that they're doing something worthwhile and because they are under the impression that they've been making money back from it.
Ashanti, how did you first come across this story? So I first came across this scam in the summer of last year when I read reports about human trafficking cases in Cambodia. People were being trafficked from across Southeast Asia to work in cyber sweatshops, scamming people and committing online fraud internationally. That's horrifying. So from what you're saying, it seems like there are potentially victims on both sides of this scam. Do we have any sense of how the trafficked victims who are working for these organised crime gangs, how they feel about the work they're being forced to do? In typical cases, victims say that they were lured by job ads that promised opportunities working in the tech or cyber industries in Southeast Asia. So they leave their home and travel for jobs on the basis that it'll improve their life. But then when they arrive, they find out that the work is actually committing fraud, scamming people thousands of miles away. Sitting in front of a computer, uh, looking at training materials on how to scam people online and how to contact them and try to get into conversations with them to woo them out of their life savings. And they're told they can't leave. Victims have described being subjected to physical punishments and torture if they don't comply. And several compounds in Southeast Asia that have been raided by police were found to have been guarded by barbed wire and controlled by Chinese criminal syndicates. We heard from Toby earlier about that just gut-wrenching text that he got on that Sunday morning when he realised he'd been scammed, he'd lost all his money... And the person had told him repeatedly not to get involved again. And the message itself, when you read it, it sounded quite cold. But do you think that would have been a dangerous thing for that person to do? It has been reported that victims will face beatings, food deprivation or electric shocks. He said he was repeatedly beaten and subjected to electrical shocks after he refused to carry out the scam calls. Often they are held in compounds surrounded by barbed wire or iron fencing to prevent them from leaving. The UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights in Cambodia, which is a particular hub for this type of scam, has visited some of the compounds and in his country report last year said that the conditions for victims there were a living hell. So Shanti, where did your investigation actually begin? So I started out by speaking to cryptocurrency fraud experts in the UK, a lawyer who specialises in this type of crime. I also spoke to Action Fraud and to the National Crime Agency to see whether it was something they were aware of. When I contacted Action Fraud and the National Crime Agency, they were both very aware of cryptocurrency crime and they were concerned that this was something that was growing but they didn't have any information specifically on pig butchering or on cases where there'd been this involvement of organised crime overseas. So we started to look into it. The National Crime Agency weren't hugely aware of pig butchering itself, but obviously them and Action Fraud are working on crypto scams in general. But you kept digging specifically on this story. What else did you find out? I spoke to an advocacy group called the Global Anti-Scam Organisation and had a chat with a volunteer there who told me about UK victims who'd been caught up in this crime. And he mentioned that he'd also been speaking to another journalist, Neve McIntyre, a tech reporter at the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, and decided that it would make sense to work together. 
So we started looking into the companies that were actually behind these scams. And we found that in many cases, the organised crime groups behind pig butchering frauds were using UK companies to commit the crime. So we over the course of three months, have identified 168 UK companies that appear to be running fraudulent cryptocurrency or foreign exchange trading schemes in the UK. Around a half of them um, are likely to be linked to pig butchering scams. And what this shows is that organised crime groups around the world are systematically using the UK as a virtual base for their operations. So exploiting lax regulation on company registration to carry out the frauds on a huge scale. So these organised crime gangs aren't necessarily UK based. They are, as you said, mostly in Southeast Asia, but they've managed to find a loophole in the way that companies and businesses are registered in the UK in order to make it look like these companies are here and to legitimise them in some way, right? Yeah, so we found that companies were being registered to addresses across the UK, including an empty shop, a flat above a Chinese takeaway and a council flat in an East London tower block. Companies were being set up at addresses where the directors had no actual ties to the address. The vast majority of the company directors linked to the firms that we identified as being involved in the scams were resident in China. So Shanti, you spoke to Sam Goodman, a lawyer who specialises in fraud cases. What did he say about why it would be possible to use addresses here to register companies that don't exist, or certainly not in this country? So when I spoke to Sam... Hello. Hi, Sam. It's Shanti from The Observer. And he explained that a company can be used to conduct fraud and then the company can be wound up um, quite quickly... Very little has been done to tackle the scam companies or to prevent new ones from opening, essentially turning the UK into a really easy target for organised crime groups. In a way, it's become a global hub of the cryptocurrency scam world. And it's such an incredible story. I'm wondering, how did you begin to join the dots together? So Neve, who is a data whiz, really started to plot out maybe the best way for us to get a real sense of how big a problem it was. And she pulled together a list which included information from websites, open source data, and also we got a list from the Global Anti-Scam Organisation. And using that information, we were able to cross-reference it with company data in the UK to start to try and track down who was actually behind these frauds. So that's kind of where it started. What we really wanted to be able to do was to draw a line from the organised crime groups um, in Southeast Asia to specific companies in the UK, to specific addresses, and then to be able to tie those to particular victims. Over the course of three months, we managed to confirm pig butchering reports relating to 17 companies We spoke to nine victims, including in the US, the UK, Germany, and we also reviewed reports relating to a further 14 individuals that have been compiled by the global anti-scam organisations. Their total losses amounted to 2.8 million, but 
we think this is a tiny proportion of the total funds that were amassed by the fraudsters linked to these UK companies. So it's complex, labour intensive, technical work. Um, but you also were out on the streets in a way. You went to visit some of the addresses that you'd seen on Companies House. Can you tell me where you went and what you found? We visited the ones that we had identified as being the hubs for this scam activity. So the majority of the companies, 140 of them, were registered to London addresses. And of those, a third were registered to a single address in South Croydon. In addition, 20 companies linked to scams were registered to an address, a business centre in North London. And there was also a cluster of businesses, 17, registered to a flat above a Chinese takeaway in Western Supermare. Well, I've seen the little horse and the Romney letter here. So I've just spoken to the business owner at the address in Western Supermare and he's got no idea what's going on. Um, he says he's never heard of the companies that are supposedly registered there and he's been getting loads of letters. He showed me a pile of letters that he's been getting through the door. Um, says that he's often chasing the postman to ask him what he should do. Um, and he's just frustrated, like a lot of the people we've spoken to. I went to one address in East London and online this, you know, is presented as the headquarters for more than 200 companies. It's supposed to be a financial and business hub. But Actually, when we arrived, we found that it was a, a block of flats. And when I knocked on the door, it was a young dad living there with his wife and their children. Hi. And he had no idea about any of the companies that were supposedly operating from there. Right, it's, it's a nightmare. I put it on action fraud. I've even yeah. called company house. They don't give a shit. He over the last five years said he's received thousands of letters. So he by the door he had two Tesco carrier bags. This is all the letters. Oh my God. So. Completely stuffed with letters that were addressed to hundreds of different companies that were supposedly based in his flat. And he said he's had strangers showing up at, at the flat and asking about companies supposedly registered to that address. Oh, God. I mean, it must be quite scary having your address out there as a supposed, like, some sort of financial district. What sort of recourse does he have to get this to stop? And were you surprised that there are these loopholes in the UK that are allowing gangs to exploit addresses like this? He said that when he first started getting the letters, it was just, you know, a handful. And he thought it was weird, but he wasn't particularly worried about it to begin with. But then it started to become hundreds and thousands. He said that it was becoming really, really stressful. He called Companies House. He's also tried, he says, to report it to Action Fraud and says that they have told him that they'll look into it. But often this involves a process of him having to actually send the letters back, which he has done. Um, but still the letters are, are coming. So they say that they're looking into it, but he says that, that nothing has changed. Coming up, the real-life cost of being scammed and why the UK is failing to stop it happening.
Shanti, from the experts that you've talked to, what do they say about the UK's ability to clamp down on this? At the moment, it's really easy to set up a company in the UK. It costs as little as £12 and it takes a few minutes to register a company online without the need to provide any proof of ID. So the experts we spoke to say that this is something that's really easily improved by making the checks required to set up a company more rigorous. It is really difficult in many cases for law enforcement agencies to crack down on the scammers and to recover funds, um, which is partly due to the relative anonymity of cryptocurrency. We know that in the last few weeks, the National Crime Agency has set up a special crypto crime unit, and it's also been a focus of Interpol and the FBI. The experts we spoke to say that more needs to be done to prevent criminals from exploiting the UK company registration process in the first place. Because in many cases, the victims said to us that it was the fact that it was a UK company that was linked to this online platform that convinced them to invest in the first place. So on the one hand, you could understand that it is incredibly difficult to have the capacity and technological know-how for crime agencies to tackle organised crime gangs working in such a sophisticated manner from the other side of the world and scamming their victims. So recover that money and to find anyone to prosecute in that sense, I can see it's very difficult. But as you've said, the simple fix, at least in one case, which is quite straightforward, is to tighten up the way that Companies House allows people to register companies here in the UK. Is there any political pressure or awareness around the issue that might lead to a change here? So loopholes in the UK's company registration system have been known for years, long before this pig butchering scam emerged. And there has been a lot of pressure on the government to do more about it. So we spoke to several um, MPs who were really focused on this issue, including Dame Margaret Hodge, who's the chair of the all-party parliamentary group on anti-corruption and responsible tax. Fraud is now the most common form of crime. And online has become like the Wild West. It's become And she said to us that people traffickers, drug smugglers, fraudsters and scammers have been exploiting our corporate laws for years. And they say that change needs to happen urgently with Companies House. It's our first line of defence. So the government has pledged to tighten the rules, including introducing a requirement to verify information that's provided to Companies House. But the timeline for its implementation is unclear at the moment. Well, Shanti, when it comes to pig butchering, what sort of scales are we talking about here? And how big a problem does it pose to the UK? In the UK, there's no specific data on pig butchering, but in the year to December, losses in crypto scams rose by 72% compared with 2021 um, to more than £329 million. And it's also a problem around the world. This type of scam specifically became widely reported in China a few years ago. In 2021, the FBI said that it had seen a huge spike in, in reports relating to this type of fraud and it's issued warnings. What did Sam, the lawyer, say about the profiles of people being targeted? When I spoke to Sam Goodman, he described this ideal victim. With some disposable income who is a, who's, who might be relatively senior in a business. Yeah. Um, Maybe who wants a new investment opportunity or is lonely. Often it's middle-aged 
men, people who've just come out of a relationship or who even are just seeking online friendships. But we also heard about cases where women have been targeted, where younger men who were just using a dating app or a language learning app had been targeted as well. I'm an engineer. I live in London. This is Sam. He's in his 40s and he works as a mechanical engineer. Uh, I am married, but I became separated about a year, year and a half ago. And what happened in the aftermath of that separation? It's obviously quite a difficult thing to go through. How, what was your mental state like? There was basically a, a particular week back in September 2021 when I had a series of bad news. My uh, sister-in-law had a really bad aneurysm and had to go into the hospital. She was on life support. And then also that afternoon, I'd heard from my father. Um, they had found out he had been diagnosed with cancer of the colon. And then obviously the third bit of news was my wife had actually physically left uh, the flat that week. She had packed her suitcases and left me. So um, there you go. It's just a really sad and dark collision of news. And I wondered in that period where you're now alone in your flat and you're dealing with sort of confluence of horrific family situations, what were you doing to distract yourself or to alleviate boredom or loneliness? I did end up spending a lot of time sitting in pubs around people, so didn't want to feel lonely. Mm. The, the other thing really was, I guess, social media. You know, it's, it's very strange that it's almost like um, on social media, they sort of almost knew that I was, you know, looking to engage in, in discussion with people a bit more and, you know, even certainly from the, the feminine side. So um, early sort of mid-November time on, on Instagram, you know, we, we just happened to have a uh, an approach from... Um, a woman. She was a, a, a divorced Chinese lady from, from New York City. You know, she was attractive, basically similar to me. She said, you know, she felt lonely. She was in her early 40s and uh, she was a partner in a fashion and beauty company. Right. You know, she came across as sounding quite, you know, confident and successful. What was appealing about her? Um, very quickly was able to just, you know, tell her jokes and be yourself, etc. We talked on Instagram for about a week and then we, we very quickly transferred over to WhatsApp. You know, she, she even had talked about coming to London to visit me. At one point, maybe we were talking a couple of hours a day. Um, it was then she started talking about how she used Bitcoin. She said she had friends who worked in the, the New York Stock Exchange. So she basically said, you know, here's this opportunity that I've got from my friends where you invest a lot of money. And then over a period of time, you make a small profit on it. She knew my marital situation and she knew what I was hoping to save up money for a deposit for a property, etc. And she said, well, you know, we're getting on well. I like you, blah, blah, blah. Here's this investment opportunity. She was even offering to help me set everything up. You know, in the end, I was able to invest as much as I was able to afford. Can I ask how much that was? It was my entire savings. So it was about £55,000. And did you invest it all in one go or did you put a bit of money in and then it looked to you that you'd made a bit of a profit on that initial investment, like she said you would, and then you put all your money in? It was over like five days. So I did an initial transfer, I think it was about 10,000. Obviously, it turns out the return was completely fake. 
So I saw what was coming back after I'd put in 10,000 and then obviously her job was to try to encourage me to put more and more in. Over that next three or four days in total, I put in 55,000 and, you know, towards the end it was, you know, this sounds like it's too good to be true. And when you say the end, do you mean day five? On the evening before that, she tried to encourage me to put more money in. And I basically said, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm at my limit now. And then you could sort of see there was a bit of change. She wasn't talking to me as nicely as she had been or as friendly as she had been. I was getting a bit suspicious because I did actually look up the photographs that she was using on her Instagram. And it turns out the photographs were stolen. They were, they were somebody else's photographs. So I, I basically went onto the WhatsApp and I just said, look, you're not the person you've been telling me you are. I then, for some reason, I then immediately went into my Coinbase wallet app to, to check that my money was there and it was gone. So at that point, um, I went straight into the bathroom and just stared at the mirror for five or 10 minutes because I, I, I literally just could not believe, you know, what, what had happened. How do you think it affected your life? I mean, do you feel different as a person now out in the world? Initially, I did. I think over time, I've just put a sort of a brave face on it and I've become a bit more, let's just say, hardened. You know, I've, I've realised that when somebody says to you, just be careful, it could be too good to be true, then, yeah, it absolutely is too good to be true. I spent a lot of time talking to other people who also fell for the scam. A lot of people are embarrassed about it, and that's why this scam, we don't really hear that much about it because it's, it's, it is embarrassing to fall for this. I think probably the lowest that I felt through this whole thing was when um, one particular victim who, who I wouldn't say I was close with, should I say, but we, we did exchange some messages on Facebook and, um, you know, he, he committed suicide and I, I found out about it just by accident, just, just by Googling his name because he had gone very quiet on, on Facebook Messenger for a couple of months. When we did talk, he was in a very bad mental place and maybe at the time I should have been a little bit more... Um, responsive to some of his questions but basically you know he'd gone quiet for a few months I googled his name and I found out that he he committed suicide. Sam that's so awful have you been able to talk to your loved ones about what you've gone through or have you found any support? My brother um, and only a couple of really close friends know about it that that's it because my dad's in his, his 80s that would not be a good thing to, to mention to my dad, to be honest. It would, it wouldn't, it would put him in a very bad place, I think. Um, my, my brother's been extremely helpful and supportive. But, you know, most of my support mentally is, has been with other people who've fallen for the same scam. Shanti, we've spoken to a couple of people and you've spoken to many more for your story. And the thing that resonates and is really sad is the absolute shame they feel about speaking out or sharing what's happened to them with their loved ones. Do you think that the stigma attached to being a victim of pig butchering affects how quickly the scam is operating and how widespread? The victims we spoke to, in many cases, they were really embarrassed about what had happened. They felt as though they were to blame in some way or that they were stupid for sort of falling for it as many of them put it but what really came through is that they were often in a really vulnerable spot 
we heard from Interpol, for example, that people were being targeted after being victims in data leaks or that the scammers will trawl their social media profiles to try and get as much information as they can in order to scam them as effectively as possible. So often they are really putting in a lot of effort to scam one person. They're using quite sophisticated social engineering techniques to build trust over a long period. So it's clear that this is not the work of the chancer trying their luck in their bedroom. One of the victims we spoke to worked in cybersecurity and he makes his living by, you know, advising companies on how to deal with their fraud risk. So I think it just shows how sophisticated um, the techniques that are being used in many cases are. It could happen to him. It could happen to anyone. Yeah, exactly. What kind of help is available for people who have been preyed on in this way? Which agencies are investigating on their behalf? The victims we spoke to said they'd often either gone to their local police force or to action fraud. And they were really frustrated a lot of the time because although they were told that, you know, thanks for reporting it, none of the victims we've spoken to have been able to get their money back so far. Sam Goodman said that in many cases, it's just, you know, he will lead legal actions to help people recover their funds. The amounts they've lost um, are, unfortunately, although incredibly significant for them, um, are, are sums that where, where to actually sort of go to the courts and seek redress from the courts and start legal action is is prohibitively expensive. In many cases, the amount lost is going to cost more to pursue it and actually track down who's behind the scam than the person has lost in the first place. Shanti, scams have become a familiar feature of modern life. They're almost like white noise at this point, with so many of them working to catch you out with a text about misdelivery or an email posing at your bank and so on. And it is easy, as the stories we've heard show, for anyone to slip up and get caught by one. How do people best protect themselves? It's just trying to be as aware and almost suspicious of people who are talking about anything money related online um, and sort of on us really as journalists and on a lot of the law enforcement agencies as well to get the message out about the new tactics that are being used by scammers. So even if someone's sending you a voice message or going to great lengths and kind of messaging you day and night or they've bought a plane ticket they say to see you I guess it's just trying to be as skeptical as possible but there's clearly huge responsibility on banks to warn people about suspicious transactions and it's also on the government to try and put in place as many prevention measures as possible whether that means awareness campaigns to educate people about scams or stopping companies that are behind them being able to set up in the UK in the first place. Shanti, thank you so much. Thanks, Ashin. That was Shanti Das. You can read more from her and Neve McIntyre's in-depth investigation on pig butchering at theguardian.com. Thanks as well to Toby and Sam, whose names were changed for this episode, for sharing their experience. If you're stressed or worried because of a scam, there is support out there. You can get free confidential advice from Victim Support on 0808 16 89 
116-123-111. Or you can get in touch with the Samaritans anytime on 116-123 or email joe at samaritans.org. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Ruth Abrahams, sound designed by Rudy Zagadlo, and the executive producer was Huma Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. <laughs>